This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF News. Mostly cloudy today, high near 60. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 42. Mostly sunny Thursday, high near 64. Two people faced charges following a dispute that resulted in several shots being fired from a handgun on Binghamton's west side. Police were sent to Maine and Cedar Streets around 2.50 p.m. Monday after at least three gunshots were heard in the area. Investigators believe no one was wounded in the incident, which erupted during an altercation in front of an apartment building at 132 Main Street. Several people who were believed to have been involved in the fight ran away before police patrols arrived at the scene. City detectives executed a search warrant in an apartment in the six-unit building on Main Street. Investigators said they confiscated multiple loaded gun magazines found in the residence. They also seized cocaine, MDMA, and drug packaging material. Police also discovered a loaded Glock 9mm handgun outside the three-story apartment house. Detectives said Shaquan Johnson of Binghamton and Carrera Haggerty of Binghamton have been charged with tampering with physical evidence, endangering the welfare of a child, and multiple narcotics offenses. Johnson was also charged with criminal possession of a weapon and reckless endangerment. The investigation is continuing. A former fast food restaurant in Court Street in Binghamton may become a marijuana retail outlet where customers can pick up their purchase while remaining in their car. The new cannabis shop is to be developed in the now-closed A&W restaurant building on the city's east side. Plans call for renovating about 2,500 square feet of space at the site with some space left for future expansion. The A&W unit at 439 Court Street closed in February of 2018, less than two years after it opened. The City Planning Commission has scheduled a public hearing on a request for a special use permit for the store. The hearing is to be held on November 7th. $12 million in federal funding has been set aside to provide a one-time family economic support payments to New York State low-income families with children. Households with children who are under 17 and under and receive public assistance will receive around $100 through the New York State Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. Notices are being sent out to eligible households. The $12 million was made possible since New York State spent its full initial allocation of $28 million in federal dollars through the Pandemic Emergency Assistance Fund, which allowed states to elect to receive additional funding that had unspent funds. The New York State Governor's Office notes that hundreds of thousands of low-income families in the Empire State have been helped through the Pandemic Emergency Assistance Fund. In 2022, $19 million was provided to households with $140 for each child aged 3 or under to help with the cost of diapers. Construction continues on a project to develop a park area and to restore the George F. Johnson Monument in Endicott. Endicott Rotary is working with the Union Endicott School District on the restoration plan for the monument on East Main Street. The site is located between the high school and the district offices. 
The Rotary organization has been seeking donations to pay for the restoration work, which had an initial cost estimate of $135,000. The George F. Johnson Monument has been sinking due to water damage. Steps and floor section are to be reset. The planned work will also include the replacement of a cracked piece of granite. The statue of Johnson is to be refurbished to the original brass. The Broome County Land Bank Corporation and Binghamton Mayor Jared Cram announced that construction is expected to begin at 52 Beethoven Street on Binghamton's west side. The first property to be rehabilitated through the city of Binghamton's $2 million investment in the Land Bank's Affordable Homes Program. 52 Beethoven Street was acquired by Land Bank from Broome County in 2022 for $1,500. The single-family home will be renovated using grant funds from the City of Binghamton's $2 million American Rescue Plan Act allocation to the land bank. This award is intended to support construction costs for 10 to 12 single-family affordable homes through 2025. 52 Beethoven Street is the first in a series of eight properties the land bank has in its inventory to date and slated for rehabilitation and subsequent sale as an affordable home ownership opportunity. This project continues the goals of the land bank's affordable homes program within the city of Binghamton and builds upon the land bank's projects to date, including 32 Hay Street, 76 Park Avenue, 124 Gaylord Street, 33 Linden Street and 15 Birch Street. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. Shop Toyota, Chevy, BMW, and pre owned at GaltAuto.com. to now. I am Bob Joseph. Today, I believe it's October, we up to October 19th, 18th, 18th. Wow. Time flies. It really does fly. Coming up on the program, we will be taking uh, phone calls at uh, some point. I'll let you know when. Plenty to talk about around the Twin Tiers and around the world. And we will give you an opportunity to discuss all the things that are going on around here. First, we welcome back to the studio Paul Battisti, Republican candidate for Broome County District Attorney. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. It's great to be back. So it's been a little over a month since you were here in the studio talking about your campaign and talking about some of the issues. What's happened over the last month or so as the campaign moves toward the November 7th election day? Meeting a lot more people, being out in the community, 
speaking to the residents of this wonderful community about all the positive stuff we're going to do uh, to make Broome County safer and really increase uh, the quality of life, uh, answering questions, hearing from people. You know, Bob, I always say it's amazing what you can learn getting out in the community, going through neighbors' hoods and uh, knocking on doors. Any big surprises during during the campaign so far? Any anything that uh, has come up over the last few weeks that that caught you by surprise? You know, Bob, we've been on the ground since February, and the theme uh, through today, and I'm sure uh, through November seventh, is that people don't feel safe, and that's not right. Uh, they deserve to be safe, and as the next district attorney in Broome County, we're going to do all we can to ensure that that feeling changes. Have you had any direct conversations with your Democratic challenger, Matthew Ryan? I have not. Expect to between now and November 7th? Um, I have no idea, Bob. You never know who you're going to run into. Uh, When you're out in the community, you can run into anybody. How would you characterize the crime situation right now in Broome County? As as you look back, not just on this week or last month or last uh, few months, just overall, say, if you were describing... At the moment, the challenges faced by law enforcement and prosecutors dealing with crime in Broome County. Not headed in the right direction. Uh, We're seeing already this year eight child fatalities. We're seeing an increase in domestic relationship murder-suicide. Just had a shooting two days ago, as you mentioned yesterday on the show, at 2.30 in the afternoon right in the city of Binghamton. We're seeing an increase once again in overdose deaths. It's not good. Uh, We need effective leadership in the district attorney's office with common sense solutions uh, to work with the men and women in law enforcement to make Broome County the safest it can possibly be. We have great community uh, members. We have great community services. We need to collaborate with those. Uh, We need to engage in preventative services and as well as aggressively prosecute violent crime. It's just amazing as I walk through, as I mentioned, the community and speak to so many people and they talk about the way it used to be. And I'm sure you hear that on the show and why it can't be that way anymore. Um, 2023 is a lot different uh, than, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And we need to take a more aggressive approach. We need to increase mental health services. Right now, it takes weeks to get in to have an appointment to address mental health. That's not good. Uh, right now, we're seeing in our diversion programs low participation. That's not effective. Uh, we can't arrest our way out of this chemical misuse issues we're seeing day in and day out. Um, we need new leadership with common sense approaches, and we're going to do that as the next district attorney here in Broome County. In what ways, though, is crime that different than, say, 10, 20, or 50 years ago? I. I've been covering news around here for decades. I also remember growing up as a a kid here in Broome County and reading a lot of things. And then just to refresh my memory, I I look back on some of the newspaper stories even 50 years ago in 1973. Broome County had shootings, stabbings, assaults, domestic uh, abuse issues, a high-profile case 50 years ago. A couple of parents were accused in the death of their young infant I believe in Endicott. Um, robberies were a big issue. And even heroin was a big issue. And so I look back on some of the stories that even happened half a century ago and say, in some ways, not much really appears to have changed in Broome County in terms of overall crime. You know, Bob, we're seeing a higher number of those categories here in Broome County at a time 
where our population has dramatically decreased. Uh, Deinstitutionalization. There used to be a lot of mental health services. I remember uh, approximately 20 years ago when I started here practicing law in Broome County, we used to have the FAST, which was an acronym program through Broome County, where people could get immediate treatment. Whether incarcerated, whether they're on the street, we don't see that anymore. Services have been closed. The state has failed to fund different services. And uh, at the same time, we're seeing major problems with bail, with discovery. This is not good. Uh, The state is going in the wrong direction, and we need an effective leader that's going to stand up, have common sense solutions, implement programs, fully staff an office, and start turning that curve on crime. Uh, Combating the opioid epidemic. Combating the increase in domestic violence. Combating... All the violent crime we're seeing, uh, we are seeing a higher number of shootings, a higher number of guns on the street. Um, I think it was last month the Sheriff's Department went into Endicott and worked with the Endicott Police Department. And in addition to all the hard work the men and women of the Endicott Police Department are putting in day in and day out, uh, there was eight additional guns taken off the street. Uh, this has got to stop. This is not a community I want to continue to raise my children in. So I'm going to do something about that. I'm running for district attorney, and I will do all I can, effective January 1st, to start turning that corner. You mentioned Endicott and um, of course Sheriff Fred Akshar put out a news release announcing what his uh, people had done over a period of weeks during the summer in the village of Endicott but it created as you're aware something of a, a controversy with a little bit of give and take even on this program between Mayor Linda Jackson and Sheriff Fred Akshar. Uh, just in a period of about an hour they in separate exchanges had some less than complimentary words for each other. Ultimately, Mayor Jackson has contended that she she thinks Sheriff Akshar may want to effectively take over the role of policing in Endicott. And some have asked, even if at some point there's going to be a move to have maybe just one police force in Broome County. Uh, I asked Sheriff Akshar a whether he would support that at some point. He was noncommittal at that time. What is your thought in terms of policing in Broome County? Could the county be better served ultimately by having a single police agency instead of having separate law enforcement agencies, Binghamton, Johnson City, Endicott, Vestal, Fort Dickinson, and so on, having their own agencies? But a lot of the county is reliant on the sheriff's patrols and also state police could ultimately something good emerge from a single Broome County police agency in your view? You know, Bob, we are blessed to have incredible municipal police departments, whether it's Johnson City, whether it's Binghamton, whether it's Endicott. Um, I think it's incredible what Chief Pat Gary and Sheriff Fred Akshar did in Endicott last month. Um, I know they are continuing to collaborate. They're going to continue to work together. And I think the way it's working right now is incredible for Broome County, and I don't think there's a reason to change that. You wouldn't even explore or, or consider having a study done to see if that could provide more efficient law enforcement services over the long haul? Not an instant change, but say looking ahead over the next decade or so. Bob, I've said it uh, in the past and I'll say it again. I'm always willing to listen. Uh, but getting back to your question regarding last month in Endicott, I think when the chief and the sheriff are working together, um, Unity is strength. Division is weakness. They are working together. I hope they continue to work together. I'm very confident they will continue to work together because at the end of the day, it's the citizens that benefit. Think about all the good work they did last month, and they're going to continue to do that. Can USDA work well 
even with uh, those in law enforcement who, at least at this point, have not publicly endorsed your candidacy? Bob, I believe that I can work with anybody, um, regardless of your political ideology, persuasion, whether where you come from. It's important that we all work together. We put personal differences aside. I am excited to have the support of, it comes as no surprise, the state police, state police investigators, the Johnson City Police Department, Council 82, NYSUPA, SUNY Binghamton, on so many, many other agencies. Of course, we're all going to work together. They are excited. They want a leader that they can work with. Um, and partnering and having the support of law enforcement is just going to make Broome County safer. And what do you think about those in law enforcement who I'm sure you've asked, at least maybe not directly, well, probably indirectly, for their support, and they haven't provided public support. How does that make you feel when some notable uh, police chiefs have, have decided to essentially stay out of this, at least publicly? So the police chiefs aren't part of the union. Uh, they have their own uh, contractual obligation to the municipality. If a lot of unions don't want to get in the middle of a race, I respect that. I respect everybody's position. I'm just honored and privileged to have the amount of support from the men and women of law enforcement uh, that I do. And I applaud the hard work that they put in every single day. We're speaking with the Republican candidate for Broome County District Attorney, Paul Batiste. On News Radio, WNBF, this is Binghamton Now. A few days ago, Albany County District Attorney David Soares made an interesting observation about a high-profile case in the Capital District, and it involved, uh, I believe, a 17-year-old offender who admitted to killing someone. And D.A. Soares suggested that state legislature in some ways was responsible for a murder. He said because the legislature had not addressed uh, changing the New York State raise the age law. This has been the source of a lot of controversy. A lot of people in law enforcement and prosecutors across the state have spoken out since the changes were made. And D.A. Soros said lawmakers in the Assembly and Senate were guilty of legislative malpractice for not addressing the concerns over raise the age What's your response to his view? Yeah, Judge, or, uh, Bob, not even just raise the age. When we talk about bail reform and just, you know, the far distance of the legislature around, when we talk about the discovery process under 245, the legislature is prioritizing the criminal over the community, and that must stop. Raise the age is a problem. Uh, they are given very lenient sentences. Uh, an individual like that can't even see a prison until the age of 21. Um, it's not good. The legislature is going backwards. But again, I'm not a lawmaker. We are here to prosecute and evaluate cases and follow the law. I will do all I can to lobby, working with the State District Attorneys Association to try to change these horrific laws to make the priority public safety once again. In what specific ways might you change the way the Broome DA's office handles certain types of cases, whether they're cases involving gun violence or cases involving drugs or cases involving domestic abuse? Is there a, a different view, a different vision that you would bring to the DA's role and, and to have the uh, prosecutors uh, come up with different approaches to uh, treating offenders or handling cases compared to what exists now in Broome County. You know, Bob, I've said it before and I'll say it again. We need to evaluate every single 
case during the primary. You heard about the 7,000 charges that were dismissed for a lack of prosecution, for not even evaluating. That is the first step, the step in the right direction. And you do that by complying with Section 245. And we've already reached out to other district attorneys in New York State that are doing that, talking about different grants that you can get at no expense to taxpayers here in Broome County to fund additional staff to be able to comply, to fund the overtime to begin to comply. As far as domestic violence, we need to incorporate treatment for offenders. The rate of recidivism in domestic violence is far too high. Some of the domestic homicides that we've seen this year, there was orders of protection already in place. This must stop. Violent crime must be, must be aggressively prosecuted. To see cases with firearms being dismissed just this week in Broome County Court, uh, a case where an offender was alleged to have possessed an illegal firearm and shot that firearm into a, a car was dismissed because the district attorney's office failed to give all the discovery to the defense attorney. It was dismissed with prejudice, meaning you can never prosecute that case again. This stuff has got to stop. We need effective leadership. We need a fully staffed office. And we've got to comply with the law. We may not agree with the law, but as your district attorney, we have to comply with it. Those are some of the areas we focus on. I know, many more. I know we've talked about this before as far as staffing. Some cases, even if additional funding is available for staffing, it's going to be very difficult to find people who are able and willing to do the job. As as we've uh, discussed in many settings before, working in the DA's office, whether it's Broome County or in the Bronx or anywhere, it's it's a grueling job, and a lot of people can't can't take it or won't take it for very long. So, how do you recruit people to do that type of job when the cases just never stop? Well, Bob, the cases are never going to stop. The district attorney is there to prosecute crime, evaluate cases, help the broken, prosecute the violent, prosecute offenders. As far as recruiting, the people come. Over the last four years, we've seen over 50 people leave the district attorney's office. They're there. Where we need to focus is how we retain those individuals. And we do that by creating a positive work environment. People want to be prosecutors. There's people in this community that want to come back to the district attorney's office. We need to ensure it's a positive place for them to work. We need training. We need to work alongside of them. We need to foster positive relationships. We need to work with our legislature to ensure they're paid a fair wage. Uh, currently, there's roughly 10 district attorneys in the office, assistant district attorneys, when the budget calls for 25. The new budget that was just presented to the legislature uh, last month calls for 25 assistant district attorneys. These people were there. They were in that position, but they left. One of the biggest issues plaguing district attorney's offices throughout New York State is the assistant district attorney not being able to comply with that discovery under 245 that we just talked about. Through various programs, we can ensure that that discovery is complied with. Takes that burden partially off the shoulder of the assistant district attorney so that case is certified, so it's not dismissed, so it doesn't come part of that 7,000 number. It can happen, and it will happen, Bob. If you become district attorney in January, how quickly could you get the staffing up to the point where it's fully staffed Staffed to hire the, the extra 10 or 15 prosecutors needed to uh, uh, fill all the open positions. Is that something you can do in six months, 12 months? Bob, we're going to try to do that as soon as we can. I'm not going to make any promises because I cannot predict the future. Uh, do we need 25 assistant district attorneys? Maybe we only need 20. These are things we're going to evaluate. But if cases are handled differently 
And we look at when a case comes in, we're not just there to convict somebody. We're there also to rehabilitate individuals. If somebody can be rehabilitated so they become a productive member of society, they stop that vicious cycle. And we do that through diversion programs, creating a mental health treatment court. Those individuals will stop offending. They won't be yet another number in the criminal justice system. The violent offenders, they're caught with a gun. They're sentenced to three years. They're back on the street in one year, in two years, based upon the downstate liberal legislature and all these new laws that are coming into play. We need to aggressively prosecute those cases. If you become district attorney, do you plan on trying any cases yourself? I think it's important as a district attorney that, yes, you don't just abandon the courtroom. You've got to be there in the trenches with your assistant district attorneys. You do have a lot of leadership abilities. Will I be able to handle the amount of cases I handle now in the courtroom? No. But I am not an individual that's But you've never tried a case. Bob, I tried a jury trial two weeks ago. Uh, I have a jury trial starting I mean, this Monday. as a prosecutor. Oh, as a prosecutor? Yes. I, no, you, I have not tried a case a as a prosecutor, attorney. but Bob, that question's come up many times. The rules of evidence are the rules of evidence. They don't change. I'm in the courtroom every, almost every single day. And who not better to know what a defense attorney is going to do than somebody that's been doing it for 20 years? So would you expect in the first year that you would actually personally handle some cases? Yes, some? Bob. Matthew Ryan is your Democratic opponent, former mayor of Binghamton. He's a known quantity among most Broome County residents. If you had one question, one question to pose to Matt Ryan right now, what would it be? If I had one question to pose to Matt Ryan right now? Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably ask Matt, why district attorney? You ran for sheriff two years ago. You are a mayor before that. You haven't been in Broome County much. You haven't really practiced law since 2005. You know, why do you want to run for district attorney? And I think that's fair, and it's it's not a negative question. I'm just curious. Will you agree to one more live conversation, one more interview here in the studio before the election? Bob, I will try my best. As I indicated, the election is uh, three weeks from yesterday. I start a jury trial Monday. Um, there's a lot going on. I'm a varsity soccer coach at Shenango Valley. We're starting sessionals. I'm campaigning. Um, I'm a father of five, and i got to make sure that I'm always there for my wife. So I will try my best. I promised you last month I would come back, and here I am. I will do all I can to get back in here, but I can't make any promises. Um, but I do appreciate you inviting me back in. Uh, we did make some movement in my schedule so I could be here today. Uh, and I do appreciate you being on the airwaves Monday through Friday. And I renew my invitation for you to appear with Mr. Ryan in a joint appearance between now and Election Day. And I know so far you've declined that invitation. Yeah, you know, Bob, Have you changed your mind? Bob, as I said in the past, I've always done debates. We've done debates in generals and primaries. Right now, we're less than three weeks away. Um, you know, there's always a possibility for anything, but I can't commit today. My schedule is very busy between now and the election. Is there a broadcast debate scheduled? Uh, as of today, I'm not aware of one, no. Should there be? Bob, you know what? If they want to debate and they reach out, we'll do everything we can like we always do to always accommodate people's requests. But we'll still be out in the community. We'll still be knocking on doors. We'll still be pushing our message that if you want a safer Broome County, if you want a better quality of life, vote for Paul Batisti. Not only are we going to engage in preventative services, rehabilitative services, we're also going to aggressively prosecute violent crime. And it's no surprise that law enforcement supports Paul Battisti. We need those partners in the district attorney's office. We need to turn the corner. We need to start inviting ADAs into the office rather than watching them leave every day. Do you want a live broadcast debate with Matt Ryan? 
between now and Election Day? Do you want it? Bob, I would love to do a debate, but I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I said that last month. Uh, nobody's reached out, and truly, I do start a jury trial that is expected to go two weeks uh, starting Monday. May even be going through the election. I'm not sure. Uh, my team made it to sectional, Shenango Valley Boys Soccer. Uh, so that's great. We keep winning. We keep going. There's practice every day. Um, I have five wonderful kids. I'm involved in all their lights. And my wife is my number one priority, and I've got to be there for her as well. But I do appreciate, as you know, Bob, you've always been in those debates we do, and they're great. Um, we've always done them at WSKG. We've done them at SUNY Broom. But I think, uh, you know, we're running out of time, to be honest with you. Our door is always open. Thank you, Bob. I really appreciate it. Republican candidate for Broom County District Attorney Paul Battisti, live on News Radio WNBF. It's 932. You're listening to Binghamton Now, WNBF. 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. Providing you with the best solutions of your lifetime. The KSO Insurance Weekly Spotlight with Karen Sweet O'Neill. On News Radio 1290, WNBF. And the following live segment is sponsored by KSO Insurance Solutions. Good morning, Karen. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Great. Good. All right. We have a lively program with lots of information. You certainly do. And very good, <laughs> very good interviews, by the way. Well, I try. You know, yeah. my trademark, a few questions. <laughs> and we get we always get some answers, so I, I I always look forward to it. I I hope we're providing a community service with what we do. Of course, of course you are. As do you with your Wednesday segments with a lot of useful mm-hmm. information. Tell us a few things people ought to know, especially as we approach the end of the year. All righty, we're going to talk about first of all um, if you receive Social Security. So if you receive uh, Social Security, you're going to see another significant boost in your checks next year, okay? But it's um, not going to be as big as this year, though. It's going to be a lot less than this year, I heard. Well, the reason why is Inflation. because they inflated it so much the year before because of the, that um, Alzheimer's drug that they thought they were going to put into place and it was going to cost Medicare Part B so many, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. So to compensate for that, Bob... They raised the premiums for, um, or they raised the Social Security so high, and then the premiums they reduced for um, Medicare Part B because they discovered that that wasn't the case. So they inflated, and then they deflated it down. So this year, it's kind of more in line with what they're, what they've been doing in the past. So what's it going to, you know, what is it going to be? It's about 3.2% is going to be the adjustment. So in dollars, it's going to average about mm, $54 a month more in your Social Security check, okay? Now, that'd be great if you just got that and then you didn't have any other increases in your other situations, but that is not the case because the monthly premium Next year for traditional Medicare Part B, and Medicare Part B is uh, the medical part of Medicare, and it's physician care, outpatient services, uh, medical equipment, and all of that. 
This year, Bob, it was 164.90, and that was the amount of money that was taken out of your Social Security check if you're receiving Social Security on a monthly basis. If not, you were billed quarterly for it. But next year, that is going to go up, of course, and it's going to be 174.70. So it's it's basically a $10, a little less than a $10 increase a month in 2024. So what are you going to net in that Social Security? Probably around $44. So still, it's better than, you know, it's better than not having it. Now, what about if you have a higher income? Because Medicare Part B, Bob, is based on your income, whether you're single or a married couple. So obviously, if you have a higher income and you have an IRMA-adjusted income, then you're going to certainly spend more than 174.70 a month and we'll come out with those figures uh, shortly now the annual deductible and this is another thing for all people that are um, on part B with Medicare is going to increase it's going to be 200 this year Bob it was $226 a year so i mean it's a very modest deductible as most people are sitting there that are you know under 65 saying, wow, my deductible is 3000 4000 you know, dollars. The deductible for Part B this year was 226 It will go up by $14, and it'll, you know, take it to 240 for the year, not for the month. So, again, very modest uh, deductible. Now, the deductible for Medicare Part A, and Part A of Medicare, um, it, that covers inpatient hospital care, nursing home, partial nursing home stays, and those kinds of services. So that's going up, but just by 2% next year. So it's a $32 increase, which is $1,632. So it sounds like a lot. Most plans take care of that deductible, depending on what you have besides original Medicare A and B, or if you have a Medicare Advantage plan. And of course, that's half of what we do up with all of what we do up there during this time of year in our business. Also wanted to mention, if you switched your coverage last year and you were an IBM retiree and you went to United Healthcare's group Medicare Advantage plan, they sent out emails, snail mails. A lot of people haven't received their snail mail yet indicating that if you want to keep the coverage, you don't do anything. You just stay enrolled. You have the same card. You have It just rolls over to 2024. And we're hearing really positive things about people that did switch, Bob, that they do like that coverage um, with the new um, group Medicare Advantage plan through United Healthcare that IBM sponsors. So just wanted to get that out there. We are taking open enrollment appointments. And, of course, that's the time period between October 15th and December 7th when people that are on Medicare or going on Medicare need to make choices coming up for January 1, 2024. And you can make an appointment several ways. You can simply just give us a call at 607-772-4898. You can Google us at KSO Insurance. All of our contact information comes up, including our website. You can contact us that way. If you miss the phone number, we are in the phone book. We have a big display ad under insurance, and we are at 1708 Vestal Parkway East, up around back of Plato's Closet. So we're very, uh, what would you say, Bob? We're in the middle. We're in the middle. (laughs) 
accessible. Accessible to all. Thank you. Not in the middle. Accessible. Okay. Thanks for that. I'm just seeing if you're listening. You know that. Of course I'm listening. You always always come through. Copious notes. Yes, you always come through. Because one time, and let's never do this again. But one time, no, a couple times, you actually did some kind of a quiz I to, did. to test my did. knowledge about something, and you put me on the spot. I did. And as I recall, for a couple of pop quizzes, even though I had no preparation, I did fairly well. But let's let's promise here and now never never to try that again. I'm not promising that. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of pressure on live radio to, to test the host to see if he's knowledgeable about anything. Well, I know. It's so fun. <laughs> it is fun. It is fun. That's when the tables get turned. That's right. So we'll probably be doing a quiz. Probably not in the near future. All right. All right. Okay. Well, then, I, then I can look forward to next week without any trepidation. And this is true. This is true. Karen Sweet O'Neill, always a pleasure. Hope you have a great day. Hope you do, too. Thanks, Bob. Thanks. Previous segment sponsored by KSO Insurance Solutions. It's 944. What's on your mind? I am going to open the phones right now. If you're fast, if you're furious, or if you're just fast and happy, 607-772-1290. Feel free to call WNBF. Live radio at 9.49. Back to the phones. Airport Road Bob in the town of Maine. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Bob. How are you? Great. How's it going? Great. I want to give you an update on the town of Maine uh, board meeting last night concerning this IDA project. Um, I called early so that I could get on before John from Binghamton because I'm hoping to... uh, Hoping he hears this and he shows up at the town and union meeting tonight. The IDA will be at the town and union tonight at seven o'clock, explaining this project uh, thoroughly. They had a secret meeting on Monday, but it wasn't really a secret. I, I just it was not a public meeting. But the town of Maine, the town and union, and the IDA all met on Monday to discuss this project. Um, town of Maine pretty much told them on Monday at the meeting from what I was told by the supervisor that the town of Maine is not interested in changing any zoning um, areas in the town of Maine for this project. Um, The meeting last night was uh, pretty vocal at the town of Maine, um, and the consensus was that this whole project is bogus. I mean, they're taking money for a project from the fast grant program, and they've not even done the basic paperwork required. Um, so this this is something that's going beyond just Broome County, but the, the idea is not being upfront with anything. They have not even submitted a site plan for this project, and um, a site plan is required, I believe, I believe, for applying for the grant money. Um, lots of th- stuff going on. Um, I know there'll be some people at the meeting tonight from the East Main Road area, the Cot Road area, um, the Airport Road area, um, to listen to the IDA with their proposal again tonight. Um, I expect it to be a very lively meeting. Um, hoping not to get thrown out, um, but hope to be able to well, speak. Why would piece. they throw you out? 
I mean, you're a constituent, you're a resident. Uh, dare I say, without fear of contradiction, they work for you. Now, the town of Union has already made a decision. that The town supervisor has already told everyone at a public meeting that this project will go through with the town of Union. Um, they have no, they don't care. Whatever the IDA tells them, they will agree with this project. That, that's well, maybe that's true, project. but I don't, I don't see why they would throw you out for expressing your view. Now, maybe, and I don't know what the rules are for every town, but maybe they, they want to limit comment to only town of Union residents. I don't know. I, but I, I don't, I, am, I don't I see. Oh, are you, oh, why? Well, then I better stop town saying that you're um, town of Maine. I keep saying um, Airport Road from Maine when, in fact, you're town of Union. I'm, I am town of Union. Okay, town well, of Maine, um, paying Johnson City school taxes, which is uh, you know basically town of Union uh, school right. district. So right now, though, um, I mean, your home physically is in the town of Union. My home physically is in the town of Maine, okay. but I, town of Maine is part of the town of Union. Mm, no. Not to um, my knowledge. Yeah. You have two towns. One is called the town of Maine, and one is called the Correct, town of Union. My mailing address is Binghamton. Um, yeah, but I, mailing it, address is nothing. I, I'm saying, again, for purposes, you can be, only be a legal resident of one town or, say, city of Binghamton. I mean, you, if your home is in the town of Maine, that's where you live. You, you, even if your well, anyway. mailing address says Johnson City or Binghamton, that's that's the postal service. I just wanted to clarify that. Okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, um, I, and, and again, I'm, I, I'm only striving for accuracy. Just again, it's not not to, you know create any any kind of uh, issue with anyone. But but going back to my my point, and I don't know every. Every entity might have its own rules, and maybe their preference is to hear, say, specifically from residents of their town. But it, again, sure. I, you know, I'm not running the meeting, and I, myself, if I were running meetings, I I encourage encourage uh, government bodies to uh, accept public comment from virtually anyone, as long as they're respectful. I mean, if you're going to disrupt the place and turn it into a circus, I mean, we don't want that. Understandable. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to give some uh, insight. All right. Um, what's going on, uh, Town of Maine, and uh, try to keep you up to date once oh, a yeah. on the meet. I appreciate it. On. Anything else going um, on up there? I just haven't, I admit, it's been, I think it's been over a month since I've been driving on Airport Road. I apologize. I, I usually try to go on Airport Road more frequently. Anything else going on? Um, not too much, but I give uh, Sheriff Ashkar a little credit in that uh, the weekend warriors were out picking up trash a number of times this month um, along the airport road corridor. And um, that's nice to see because um, it is almost like a dump all the way from Ariel Drive to the dump. But, yeah, the weekend warriors were out from the jail picking up trash. And uh, um, other than that, the uh, neighborhood is good, you know. We want to try and keep it the way it is. All right. Let me know if you see anything going on. You got it. You know I will. Okay. And I uh, hope, hope to see John from Binghamton tonight. All right. He, he always <laughs> brings a special air to the meetings. A special 
Je ne sais quoi. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> and a camera. Uh, Thank you, Bob. It's 9.55 at News Radio WNBF with Bob Joseph live. Be taking more calls coming up. I do believe that we'll have some interesting topics that will be broached, local and otherwise. So buckle up. If you're a sensitive viewer, you may have to go find the quiet island and relax. This is Bob Joseph live. News Radio WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town square media. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Mostly cloudy today, high near 60. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 42. Mostly sunny Thursday, high near 64. Two people faced charges following a dispute that resulted in several shots being fired from a handgun on Binghamton's west side. Police were sent to Main and Cedar Streets around 2.50 p.m. Monday after at least three gunshots were heard in the area. Investigators believe no one was wounded in the incident, which erupted during an altercation in front of an apartment building at 132 Main Street. Several people who were believed to have been involved in the fight ran away before police patrols arrived at the scene. City detectives executed a search warrant in an apartment in the six-unit building on Main Street. Investigators said they confiscated multiple loaded gun magazines found in the residence. They also seized cocaine, MDMA, and drug packaging material. Police also discovered a loaded Glock 9mm handgun outside the three-story apartment house. Detectives said Shaquan Johnson of Binghamton and Carrera Haggerty of Binghamton have been charged with tampering with physical evidence, endangering the welfare of a child, and multiple narcotics offenses. Johnson was also charged with criminal possession of a weapon and reckless endangerment. The investigation is continuing. A former fast food restaurant in Court Street in Binghamton may become a marijuana retail outlet where customers can pick up their purchase while remaining in their car. The new cannabis shop is to be developed in the now-closed A&W restaurant building on the city's east side. Plans call for renovating about 2,500 square feet of space at the site with some space left for future expansion. The A&W unit at 439 Court Street closed in February of 2018, less than two years after it opened. The City Planning Commission has scheduled a public hearing on a request for a special use permit for the store. The hearing is to be held on November 7th. $12 million in federal funding has been set aside to provide a one-time family economic support payments to New York State low-income families with children. Households with children who are under 17 and under and receive public assistance will receive around $100 through the New York State Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. Notices are being sent out to eligible households. The $12 million was made possible since New York State spent its full initial allocation of $28 million in federal dollars through the Pandemic Emergency Assistance Fund, which allowed states to elect to receive additional funding that had unspent funds. 
The New York State Governor's Office notes that hundreds of thousands of low-income families in the Empire State have been helped through the Pandemic Emergency Assistance Fund. In 2022, $19 million was provided to households with $140 for each child aged 3 or under to help with the cost of diapers. Construction continues on a project to develop a park area and to restore the George F. Johnson Monument in Endicott. Endicott Rotary is working with the Union Endicott School District on the restoration plan for the monument on East Main Street. The site is located between the high school and the district offices. The Rotary organization has been seeking donations to pay for the restoration work, which had an initial cost estimate of $135,000. The George F. Johnson Monument has been sinking due to water damage. Steps and floor section are to be reset. The planned work will also include the replacement of a cracked piece of granite. The statue of Johnson is to be refurbished to the original brass. The Broome County Land Bank Corporation and Binghamton Mayor Jared Cram announced that construction is expected to begin at 52 Beethoven Street on Binghamton's west side, the first property to be rehabilitated through the city of Binghamton's $2 million investment in the Land Bank's Affordable Homes Program. 52 Beethoven Street was acquired by Land Bank from Broome County in 2022 for $1,500. The single-family home will be renovated using grant funds from the City of Binghamton's $2 million American Rescue Plan Act allocation to the land bank. This award is intended to support construction costs for 10 to 12 single-family affordable homes through 2025. 52 Beethoven Street is the first in a series of eight properties the land bank has in its inventory to date and slated for rehabilitation and subsequent sale as an affordable home ownership opportunity. This project continues the goals of the land bank's affordable homes program within the city of Binghamton and builds upon the land bank's projects to date, including 32 Hay Street, 76 Park Avenue, 124 Gaylord Street, 33 Linden Street and 15 Birch Street. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. Live WNBF. This is Binghamton now, and it's Wednesday, October eighteenth, twenty twenty-three. Coming up, we will be taking more of your phone calls. So, if you have thoughts about things going on around the Twin Tiers or around the world, we will be uh, anxious to hear your thoughts as our conversation continues until noon today. Joining us now in the studio, Brian Fry from WSKG Public Media. And 
I'm sorry because Michael Grasso, I haven't had you on the program in so long. It, it, it's I'm, been I'm years. drawn a blank. <laughs> I'm saying we've, we've talked by the phone, but it, or on the phone, but I don't think you've been in the studio with me. You've been here for other programs, but with me directly, it's been a while. So, Executive Director of Robertson Museum and Science Center, 30 Front Street, Binghamton, New York, 13905. <laughs> you made up for it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, that's all the time we have. <laughs> so, drive safely, folks, and we'll look forward to seeing both of you next time. Anyway, you're here to talk about... Oh, yes, good morning. And did I mention it's live and local? You did, you Yes. Did. Yeah. I, I'm surprised in 2023 this is even allowed. Why won't the FCC or the TSA or somebody intervene? Live yeah. and local, unscripted? Well, they might after this. Uh, yeah, that's going to gonna say. <laughs> this go in any direction. Somebody will file a complaint, you know. The TSA is looking into security issues raised by a guy who's running an unscripted radio program. <laughs> it hasn't been vetted by the Censorship Bureau. So anyway, there is something... Good happening on WSKG Public Media. Of course, there's always something good happening on WSKG Public Media, but something brand new. That's right. another Brian Fry production, and that's why you're here. And in a moment, we're going to find out why Michael Grasso is here, too. Well, Michael Grasso is here because this film that I'm doing, Alonzo's Ghost, is about the museum that is now under his caretaking. So, uh, Michael, uh, I approached him about a year or so ago and said I wanted to do a film called Alonzo's Ghost. It looks at the history of Robertson Museum and kind of uh, looks into some of the ghost stories and such like that. So I approached Michael, who I've known for years, and he um, surprisingly said, sure. Wouldn't it be funny if he said, yeah, No, it would be funny like, no, no, you've done great work, but I, I'm i a little concerned about how you'll handle this project. But, but uh, So, Michael, you must have been excited when you heard about Brian's idea. I absolutely was. I mean, I'm a former WSKG employee, um, so I have known Brian for a long time. I know the quality of his work. I know what WSKG can do. Um, so, I mean, this was this is kind of a dream come true for our museum. Um, and it's a great story to be told that I think... Brian's the right person to get that story out there. So tell us a I little did not bit. Pay him to say that. Oh, <laughs> oh, no, of course, not it's... in cash anyway. No, not <laughs> it's all Venmo now. That's right. Yes, or SNH green stamps for those of a certain age. You wouldn't know, Michael, but I Brian do, and I, yes. uh, or triple S blue stamps. Here you go. Have a book of these. So tell us about uh, getting the project going. One of the things that has always intrigued me, Brian, about the work you do with your film documentaries for WSKG. There is so much research and planning that goes into it before before it can ever see the light of day. Yeah, no, good point. I uh, this I've been going to the Robertson Museum since I was a kid because I grew up around here. But I even in some of my past research for some of my other films, I had a hard time running across a lot of information about Alonzo Robertson uh, and the museum. But luckily, the museum itself has a pretty nice archive. Uh, the Historical Society has some had some photographs and some notes and things like that. But and I mentioned this in the film that over the years since it became a museum back in 1954, uh, after Margaret Robertson died, they uh, have had a long string of archivists there who have collected things and talked to people who used to 
work for the Robertsons. And uh, surprisingly, though, and I also mentioned this in the film, there wasn't a lot of like personal photographs of Alonzo or Margaret. Um, you know, you would expect to, to find, usually you find some sort of family photo album or something like that, but there wasn't. So we had to dig around to get photos of Margaret and Alonzo. But they did have some really nice archival materials as far as letters and remembrances and things like that and so that's where i started and uh the people who work at the museum were very helpful and very open to sharing they have a great and michael will know this they have a great archive of the original blueprints for the museum which was fun to see and um, you know michael gets to work with this stuff all the time so yeah i mean the the history of Roberson as an institution is really interesting, but the history of the family is also really fascinating. I mean, we're talking about two people in the late 19th, early 20th century, no children, um, kind of kept to themselves in a lot of ways, um, but were, by today's standards, exorbitantly wealthy. I mean, exorbitantly wealthy. Um, and really quietly generous with their money around the community. So in addition to leaving their home after their deaths, um, they had funded a lot of other projects locally, involved in a lot of different causes, but um, all really quietly. And Brian covers this really well in the film. So tell me about um, just conducting the the interviews. And I've I've always been fascinated by the approaches you take for each project. I think um, you put a you put a, a, a special spin on everything that you do. I mean, some are are very traditional documentaries, and some um, uh, use a, a different approach. Uh, did you spend a lot of time deciding exactly how you wanted to frame this particular project? I did, and in this one I take the same approach that I took for my last couple where I didn't do any on-camera talking head interviews, but I did speak to people who worked at the museum or had done a little bit of research. I spoke to a, a woman, Cynthia Carter Carrington, who uh, actually Cynthia Carrington Carter, who was worked at the museum back in the 80s, and she did a really wonderful thesis on Robertson and on the museum and how the museum was constructed. And I spoke with her, and she gave me a lot of good information. I used her thesis, and so I approached this one as I was kind of telling the story of Alonzo Robertson and how the museum, how he decided to build the mansion the way it was built how they decided to gift it to the city upon their deaths. Um, and I, Michael could correct me, but I don't think that there's really been a lot written on the background of Alonzo Robertson other than that thesis. There's never been any really deep, uh, uh, you know, any book written or anything like that. No, there hasn't been. I, and it's, it's an interesting story. I was able to preview the film over the weekend and... I, I myself learned some things about the Robersons and about their home and about the institution that I did not know. So Brian, while he's being very modest, um, has done an enormous amount of work um, just piecing all of these things together into a cohesive story, which is it is a historical documentary, but it's also it, it's a bit of a ghost story, too. And how timely... I don't know. It's it's amazing how the broadcast premiere of Alonzo's Ghost on WSKG HD is going to happen 
the evening before Halloween. Is it's it really? The way wow. that just happened. It's almost like we planned it that way. Crazy. Yes. Those but people at WSKG Public Media don't miss an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> They're That's brilliant, right. Brian. Well, I'll be honest with you. For me, I always like to have as much time as possible. So generally, my films, I, I come out around early December. But when Natasha Thompson started as our new president and CEO, and then she, she found out I was working on this film, she said, well, it's going to air right before Halloween, right? And I said... Well, that's a good idea. <laughs> and, and so now I'm on a, a shorter timeline than yep. usual, but sure. And so, but yeah, and, and, and you know, the ghost stories are fun. And the way I, I, I think the way we approach them in this film is fun. They've been collected for more than almost 60 years. Um, and I, you know, we we look at some of the stories that they use at the museum still does ghost stories. We sure do. And it's one of the, it's one of the more popular, you know, probably other than the, the holiday. Uh, yeah. It's one of your more popular. Most most weekends in October, we are doing um, haunted mansion tours, and it's not like haunted house style. It's we take people through the mansion, we talk about the history, but we also talk about all of the first hand accounts that we've collected over the years of people who have had odd experiences. Um, some of them from staff, some of them from visitors. I myself have had an odd experience, but you'll have to watch the film to see what it was. Um, but yeah, Brian's Brian's film is absolutely phenomenal, and the I, I love about this one that it's got something that's just a little bit different in it. Something that we have not seen from WSKG before and I don't want to I don't want to give too much away so that everyone tunes in for the premiere, but this one will be it's a little bit different and it's uh it's a great asset, I think. Will I be scared? Well, I don't know. I guess uh, I'll just have to yeah, tune I mean, in October 30th at 8 p.m. to WSKG <laughs> HD with copious amounts of popcorn and whatever beverage seems appropriate. I recommend scotch. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the help there. I was like, well, I could always, you know, have some lime Kool-Aid, but probably there probably are better choices. <laughs> it was a... A fun story to tell. I, the, I have to admit, the last couple that I've done have been very, very heavy topics uh, about the clothing factory fire and the Salt Babies film. And this one is a, an important topic because the Robertson Museum is such an important institution in our community. But also, the ghost stories I think are fun, and they are ones that people have had serious encounters with. And I, you know, I look at them in uh, a serious way, but also kind of with a tongue-in-cheek. And uh, I, I, I had a lot of fun working with some illustrators, and I think we've come up with a. I hope we've come up with a nice treatment for this. Well, I haven't seen every one of your productions. I believe I've been able to view most, and I, I've been impressed right from the beginning. And I also I've been impressed as time goes on, as you've gained more expertise, and as you noted, have have uh, employed different approaches. And especially with the way the Devil's Fire was handled, uh, about the tragedy that happened here in downtown Binghamton at the clothing factory in 1913. Mm -hmm. And also the very special and sensitive treatment you employed with the, the story about the Salt Baby tragedy at Binghamton General Hospital from the 60s. Those are stories that are part of our history, part of the fabric of Binghamton. And yet, it is challenging to approach those even decades later, knowing that there there are people who who still 
are going to be touched personally because of elements of those those tragedies where where lives were lost. No, I appreciate you saying that, and I, I I think I do have a responsibility. I mean, I this is my hometown. I grew up here, and these are real people, real people who uh, some of them who still have family members. And so, although I I always tell the truth and always look for a, you know a, a, an exact account of what happened or these people's lives, I also think it's important to be responsible uh, for the memories that people may have of these incidents and people lost their lives. And so no matter how long ago it is, I think that that is part of the responsibility of a, of a filmmaker to also keep that in mind, that, that these are real people you're talking about. Well, and especially in this era... And I'm, this is not meant as a criticism, but it's it's an observation that especially with commercial journal, or journalists working in the commercial sector, and they could take some of these tragic stories and the way it would be framed, say, on Dateline NBC or 48 Hours or whatever, would be totally different. The facts could all be the same, but the presentation would be dramatically different, and... There are pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we've we've seen some Binghamton stories that have been featured on TV network news magazines, and although it's interesting to see, say, some of the stories that I've covered over the years, and ultimately reach a national audience. Sometimes by the time that they've been given, say, the forty-eight hours or Dateline NBC treatment. I just shake my head and yeah. say, well, I can't point to anything specifically in that program that's not true, but certain elements have been perhaps exaggerated, sadly, for entertainment purposes. And what I see with your approach to, especially with these a very uh, sensitive and yet important topics in Binghamton, that you handle them in a way that I think even... Even those who are still likely to be upset about aspects of it will will watch and understand that that you approached it with care. I think the word you're looking for is empathy. Empathy. And mm. I, one of my favorite things about public media, and of course WSKG and Brian's work, is that the topics that are discussed are always approached with empathy and with care. And consideration for, you know, the, whether it's victims or survivors or just the people who are the, the focus of the story. Um, and I think that's what differentiates public media from a lot of other outlets. Absolutely. Well, as every, in the, in the media ecosystem, everybody has, has a role and everybody's approach is going to be in some ways different. But that doesn't mean that, uh, that, Especially this approach with, without having to be overly dramatic and, and yet cover all the essential elements. I, 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 I'm always, uh, always, uh, impressed by, by how it turns out, by the, as they say, the final cut. It, well, it's kind of you both to say that. And, and I'll admit, I probably would not have a very, uh, very successful career working in commercial television because <laughs> I watch some of those things too. And I just, it's an approach that I just am uncomfortable with. I'm sure that that's something that, um, you know, a lot of these are, you know, stations now are owned by big corporations and it's all a, 
about profit in public broadcasting. Obviously, it's not. It's about the story. I'm not saying that these producers aren't thinking about story, but there, there's a different approach. And um, I, I hope that uh, the films that I do and the ones that uh, my colleagues do in the PBS system do, like Michael say, approach it with a certain amount of empathy for the people who are involved. In almost all of your appearances, the final question for me is something like, so what's your next project, Brian Fry? <laughs> oh, actually, after this one, and I've already started working on it, I'm doing a film called North to the Freedom, which is about the Underground Railroad in this region. And I'm going to look at some of the stories connected to people who were escaping slavery, but also people who were helping in the abolitionist movement uh, throughout uh, Binghamton, Owego, Elmira, Ithaca, uh, the greater uh, WSKG covers, as Michael knows, a, a vast amount of counties, 21 counties altogether, I think 16 alone in New York State. We actually have one of the largest coverage areas in in New York State. So uh, that's, uh, that's the project that I'm working on next, and hopefully that will be, I'll be back around this time next year to talk about that. I look forward to that. What about the project regarding carousels? Oh, the carousels one's interesting is that that is one I'm waiting. So, as you know, they t- dismantled the Ross Park carousel and they had some funding to, to they're going to move it from where the entrance to the zoo is and they're going to move it to a different part of the park. All of those components are now sitting at a refurbishing facility in Connecticut. And that process takes about a year or so. So we're going to try to cover as much of that as they are rebuilding and repainting those horses. And then when they start to rebuild the carousels uh, at the the mount, the mount carousel mount back here uh, in Binghamton, sometime maybe next year, we will uh, we will cover that. And I'm going to look at the history of all the carousels. You also were fortunate to get some footage as as it was being dismantled and and prepared to be. Um shipped off to Connecticut for the restoration. <laughs> right, yeah, we got really lucky. Somebody called us like, I think you were, I, you and I were together at some event or something like that. Yeah, and I heard about it afterwards because it, I think it had happened like late the previous week and I remember thinking, gee, I wish somebody had called me because I'd been <laughs> keeping an eye on it, say, for the, because this has been, um, I'll say, I, I don't think City Hall would say it's been a struggle because that's not a word that they want to use. Mm-hmm. They might say it's been a challenge yeah, to get yeah. this restoration moving forward, but it's been something that has been in the works for several years to finally get it to the point where these talented carousel restorers in Connecticut can do their work. And, yeah, they, and the people they know what they're doing. This father and son team, right? they're special. Right, yeah, and they've, and they've re- restored carousels all across the country and they worked on the carousels at rec park and i believe the one in johnson city also but uh, yeah they're they're a team that have been working with carousels for generations and the folks at the parks department here in bingpen been really great to work with and so they're you know even more excited i'm sure than we are to see this project through one of the things that's really exciting is they've already rebuilt the the Wurlitzer organ, and that's sitting um, ready to be reinstalled when the carousel goes up, and that's really exciting because there's not a lot of those left. We're very blessed to have half a dozen carousels thanks to George F. Johnson. That's right. We are the carousel capital. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Fry and Michael Grasso, thank you for joining us. Alonzo's Ghost, an original documentary film from WSKG Public Media. We'll have its premiere on WSKG HD on Monday, October 30th at 8 p.m. That's right. 5 p.m. Pacific.
<laughs> well, it will stream the same it will day. Stream. Yes. So yes, but, you know, we have a global audience. We, you know, people are listening on, online to the program and and as well on on our app. So we actually have um, a, a shocking number of out of state listeners, including some in California. So don't be surprised that some people who used to live in the Binghamton area and now live in California or Florida or Tennessee wind up streaming it on October 30th. Wish you both the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's 1031. I'm Bob Joseph on your Wednesday morning. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We're still saving the Southern Tier money at Galt Toyota. News Radio, WNBF, Binghamton now at 1035. 607-772-1290 is the number to call if you have thoughts about things going on in the Binghamton area or elsewhere. We do allow um, discussion about a wide array of topics. A wide array. And we'd love to hear from you. You're uh, motivated to chat. Forecast from the National Weather Service. Partly sunny today, high 60. Partly cloudy tonight, low 42. Mostly sunny tomorrow, high 64. And cloudy Friday with a chance of showers, high 65. Right now, it's 52 in downtown Binghamton. That's 11 Celsius. Air quality, well... Those who enjoy breathing, the air quality actually has been quite good this week. Another stellar breathing day for those who wish to uh, celebrate clean air. AQI air quality index now is 23. Not bad. Hi, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, this is Earl from Coconut Center. How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, hanging in there, bro. Uh, well, what I'm calling about, Bob, is a couple days ago, uh, they were talking about, you know, how to get the two lanes going in from uh, Wegmans there, you know? Yes. Well, you know, I'm there a couple times a week, and I approach it from uh, from the east, so... Uh, uh, I approach it from the east, and what the problem there seems to be, Bob, I don't know how many times you've been there, if you've been there during the busy hours, but, you know, most people in the left lane, well, you know they're going to turn, make that first left to get to the big part of the parking lot. You know what I'm saying? That right lane, the only place you can go from there is either to the liquor store or to the right side, you know, of Wegmans in that smaller lot. So they're going to have problems there because I already see people track. They're in that, they get in that lane, but then they want to get in the lane to make the first left, and they know the area. It's just that they're, they're just trying to get ahead of somebody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I've seen 
I've seen with my own eyes what some people do, and I, I think what what this will take, and this is true anytime that there's uh, an adjustment, lanes changed or traffic patterns that are revised, it usually just takes a period of time so most people learn how it's set up now. Because, well, I mean, remember, and I don't know if this applied to you, but I think it pertained to a lot of people around here. Remember a few years ago when they changed the lanes that were set up on near the 1781 split. So if you wanted to go west. Yeah, yeah, I know to, exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, and so for, for decades we just automatically uh, veered over to um, to the left lane if we were heading toward uh, Johnson City or Endicott or Owego. And then they went and changed all that. And so if you want to head west now, you have to go off to the um, to the right side. And took me, I think, I think the second time that I did the wrong way and wound up uh, having to double back at the Front Street exit, I, I think by then that's what I needed to, like, oh, okay, well, let's reprogram my brain. And I think ultimately with the new lane, the new left turn lane at the Wegmans entrance on Harry L Drive, I think that's that's going to help probably in the next month or so. I mean, it's not going to help for people. Yeah, yeah, come Christmas time and more traffic, more traffic at the mall and everything. Well, and but, that's but, another but thing. Bottom, but, but the bottom line is you said people are going to learn. I think they know now. If they get in that right lane, you notice how People will get in their right lane. They know they're not going to the liquor store, and they know they don't want to park in that small lot to the right of Wegmans, but they're figuring, I can make that turn, and then I could start edging my way over into the left lane because that's really where I want to turn. And, of course, there's only one lane turning left onto the thing. There's going to be accidents. I think it was a, you know. Well, what else are you going to do, though? There there is a serious issue about... Volume incoming traffic, uh, I hundreds of cars we, an I, hour. So I know. what? I, so the other thing, and I don't think it's been changed yet, is signage. I think maybe maybe the DOT has changed it, but I know when the Johnson City Mayor was on uh, several days ago, he pointed out although the additional turn lane has been constructed and the repaving's completed and the pavement markings are done. Uh, one thing that hadn't been done is adjusting the, the signage, and that's up to the DOT. Maybe it's been done. I, I just haven't noticed if they've made any changes in the way signs are set up. And that it could make a difference. I'm not saying it's a big difference. In the end, whether it's changing the entrance to a busy supermarket or to the increasingly busy mall, if you make any changes, there's always going to be some yeah. confusion. And and look, there's I think when Martin Manny, the mayor, was on, I think I made the observation, and I think it's accurate, that that's probably the busiest intersection in all of Broome County. At least if you take it uh, over the course of of a year. I mean, there might be say some areas along the parkway that sometimes are are busier than others, but if you look at 365 days a year, it's always a lot of traffic coming to Wegmans and to the mall.
Yeah, I'm there t- t- at least twice a week, sometimes three times. I know all about it. I could live for a year on what they take <laughs> it in one day. I know that. Yeah. Okay, Bob, thanks for your time. But there's going to be problems. Yeah, well. There's going to be accidents there, and you'll never hear about it because it's considered an accident in a parking lot, and that's something they don't report much on. Yeah, well, these thank you. These days they don't report much on crashes. I don't call them accidents. I call them crashes or collisions. You know, let let the insurance companies decide if it was an accident. When there's a collision between two vehicles, you know, or a crash, is it an accident? Well, I might say the people involved probably didn't want it to happen. But I still say in nearly 100% of the cases these things are avoidable if people slow down and pay more attention but I also am smart enough to know for uh, most people that's that's not really an option what I have to slow down what I have to pay attention no I'm too busy playing this video game to pay attention 1043 News Radio, WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. And and here to help you find the vehicle that's perfect for you, with no pressure, no haggling, and no games. Check us out, Matthews Import Center on Old Festival Road behind Lowe's, or MatthewsAuto.com. Fifty-four at WNBF. Well, here's a story that sort of reflects thoughts I expressed on the program earlier this week. Biden faces physical risks in flying to war-torn Middle East. President Biden arrived in Israel today, flying into an active war zone where hostilities are high. And everything is unpredictable. So the point of the story here is there's real concern about the physical risk to President Biden. And apparently, near as I can figure, Governor Kathy Hochul has yet to make it to Israel, but I would say it's also risky business for her to be flying into a war zone. Now, some security experts are claiming the physical risk to Biden would be relatively small despite all the chaos. Of course, he's one of the most protected people on the planet. They say Air Force One is equipped with sophisticated air defense systems that can thwart incoming rockets and missiles. But still, if you don't have to put the leader of the free world into harm's way, if you don't have to, why do you? Yeah, I know. It's political. It's 1056. More coming up.
I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town square. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WNBF. This is News Radio 1290, WNBF News. Mostly cloudy today, high near 60. Partly cloudy tonight, low around 42. Mostly sunny Thursday, high near 64. Two people faced charges following a dispute that resulted in several shots being fired from a handgun on Binghamton's west side. Police were sent to Main and Cedar Streets around 2.50 p.m. Monday after at least three gunshots were heard in the area. Investigators believe no one was wounded in the incident, which erupted during an altercation in front of an apartment building at 132 Main Street. Several people who were believed to have been involved in the fight ran away before police patrols arrived at the scene. City detectives executed a search warrant in an apartment in the six-unit building on Main Street. Investigators said they confiscated multiple loaded gun magazines found in the residence. They also seized cocaine, MDMA, and drug packaging material. Police also discovered a loaded Glock 9mm handgun outside the three-story apartment house. Detectives said Shaquan Johnson of Binghamton and Carrera Haggerty of Binghamton have been charged with tampering with physical evidence, endangering the welfare of a child, and multiple narcotics offenses. Johnson was also charged with criminal possession of a weapon and reckless endangerment. The investigation is continuing. A former fast food restaurant in Court Street in Binghamton may become a marijuana retail outlet where customers can pick up their purchase while remaining in their car. The new cannabis shop is to be developed in the now-closed A&W restaurant building on the city's east side. Plans call for renovating about 2,500 square feet of space at the site with some space left for future expansion. The A&W unit at 439 Court Street closed in February of 2018, less than two years after it opened. The City Planning Commission has scheduled a public hearing on a request for a special use permit for the store. The hearing is to be held on November 7th. $12 million in federal funding has been set aside to provide a one-time family economic support payments to New York State low-income families with children. Households with children who are under 17 and under and receive public assistance will receive around $100 through the New York State Office of Temporary and Disability Assistance. Notices are being sent out to eligible households. The $12 million was made possible since New York State spent its full initial allocation of $28 million in federal dollars through the Pandemic Emergency Assistance Fund, which allowed states to elect to receive additional funding that had unspent funds. The New York State Governor's Office notes that hundreds of thousands of low-income families in the Empire State have been helped through the Pandemic Emergency Assistance Fund. In 2022, $19 million was provided to households with $140 for each child aged 3 or under to help with the cost of diapers. Construction continues on a project to develop a park area and to restore the George F. Johnson Monument in Endicott. Endicott Rotary is working with the Union Endicott School District on the restoration plan for the monument on East Main Street. 
The site is located between the high school and the district offices. The Rotary organization has been seeking donations to pay for the restoration work, which had an initial cost estimate of $135,000. The George F. Johnson Monument has been sinking due to water damage. Steps and floor section are to be reset. The planned work will also include the replacement of a cracked piece of granite. The statue of Johnson is to be refurbished to the original brass. The Broome County Land Bank Corporation and Binghamton Mayor Jared Cram announced that construction is expected to begin at 52 Beethoven Street on Binghamton's west side. The first property to be rehabilitated through the city of Binghamton's $2 million investment in the Land Bank's Affordable Homes Program. 52 Beethoven Street was acquired by Land Bank from Broome County in 2022 for $1,500. The single-family home will be renovated using grant funds from the City of Binghamton's $2 million American Rescue Plan Act allocation to the land bank. This award is intended to support construction costs for 10 to 12 single-family affordable homes through 2025. 52 Beethoven Street is the first in a series of eight properties the land bank has in its inventory to date and slated for rehabilitation and subsequent sale as an affordable home ownership opportunity. This project continues the goals of the land bank's affordable homes program within the city of Binghamton and builds upon the land bank's projects to date, including 32 Hay Street, 76 Park Avenue, 124 Gaylord Street, 33 Linden Street and 15 Birch Street. That's a look at news. For updates on local news, weather, sports, and features, open up the WNBF app and online at WNBF.com. This is News Radio 1290 WNBF. Bob Joseph live and local on News Radio WNBF. the hits all the time. <laughs> on a talk show? Maybe. Sometimes I tune in just for the music. We'll be taking your phone calls in a few minutes, so if you have things you really wish to talk about, hold those thoughts and uh, be prepared. We'll let you know at the appropriate time when you can uh, call in and contribute to our Wednesday program. It is a busy Wednesday, and that's what we like here at News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. It's going to be a celebration in Johnson City tomorrow morning as the Johnson City Senior Center marks four decades of service, providing plenty of activities for older people in the Johnson City area. And the Senior Center is located exactly where Johnson Field stood. In fact, I was there. I was there uh, around 8.22 this morning. So I 
I was uh, just taking a look at and set for this interview. We're joined now by Kim Robinson of the Johnson City Senior Center, the Executive Director. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. There's a lot of activity going on out there. I don't need to tell you. They're, they've been busy, 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 busy. They, they have been very busy. The uh, installation of both of the historical markers that were donated by the Broome County Historical Society is just going to be wrapping up today, uh, right in time for tomorrow's unveiling of the historical markers and some speakers that, that we have that will be here to celebrate this big event and special tribute to Johnson Field. Well, tell people a little bit about the history of the Senior Center. It did get started four decades ago, and when I was over there this morning, I, I spent a few minutes reminiscing about um, when the ballpark was still at that site. The triplets played there for 15 years, and then I believe their final game was in late August 1968. And then before long, it's time for the highway construction to begin. And it wasn't too long after that that the, uh, the senior center eventually uh, came to fruition. It was an idea that took a while to uh, make a reality, but... The Senior Center has been part of the community now for 40 years. I think it's pretty impressive. Yeah, we knew we had a, a special event uh, when when we heard from Mayor Maney and, and Gerald Smith from the Historical Society. Um, they came to us with this idea that uh, because we were located where Johnson Field was previously located, um, that they wanted to donate two historical markers. The first is the traditional blue and gold New York State marker, and that's going to go on North Broad Street um, right next to our new digital sign. And then the other is a uh, is in the shape of home plate, and that's going to be in the parking lot in the exact location of Johnson Field's home plate what once was. So uh, we're, we're excited to see this happen. It's an event that really resonates with seniors. Um, it's been a fun trip down memory lane, hearing about all the stories that they have about coming to the games. And uh, it's a pretty special event, made even more special by having a, a special guest speaker, Di- Mrs. Diana Munson, the widow of Yankee great, Yankee catcher and Captain Thurman Munson. Yeah, and sadly, um, we lost uh, Thurman Munson when he was only 32. It, he was uh, he was still had so much more to give and so much more to live and unfortunately he died in August of 1979 and I remember um, just hearing hearing the news and reacting with with shock at the death of Thurman Munson especially since he had spent uh, some time right right here playing for the triplets before he moved on to uh, the major leagues with the Yankees. Yeah, he played for the triplets in 1968, which was the year that the stadium was demolished, like you said, to make way for for Route 17. Uh, and he was quickly recruited after that by the New York Yankees. So it does seem he's he's a favorite Yankee of, of everybody that you talk to. So we're excited to have Mrs. Munson here. Uh, she'll talk about her life with uh, Thurman Munson and her quest to have him remembered as part of the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. Well, I, I know it's going to be a special event for so many people, for you and those who uh, have found the Senior Center to be such a, an important part in their lives, and also for the village of Johnson City and, and sports fans. So it's uh, the fact that this special event can be held tomorrow. And I know after people have had a chance to make some remarks, you're going to have uh, a gathering inside the Senior Center. 
but we're going to we're going to start in the senior center at 10 a.m. Uh, it's a whole lot easier to hear uh, in our dining room than be along Route 17 with the traffic and noise. So. So uh, much of the program will be inside. We'll kick it off with uh, the kind of baseball style with the national anthem. Uh, it's going to be played by Louis Augustini on his trumpet. Uh, Senator Leah Webb is going to say a few words, followed by Mayor Martin Maney. Uh, then we'll have Broome County historian Roger Luther, Broome County historian emeritus Jerry Smith. Um, and then we're going to do something fun. We're going to have a little bit of a seventh inning stretch with a barbershop quartet. And then uh, Tom Tunison and Gary Kaschek, who co-authored a book called Go the Distance, um, that detailed Tom's battle with a rare hip disease and his unlikely bond with Yankees rookie catcher Thurman Munson. They're going to announce um, and introduce Mrs. Munson, and then Mrs. Munson will, will have a chance to talk. So that'll all be taking place inside so that pe- so that everyone can be seated, so everyone can hear easily. Uh, and then we'll be going outside to unveiled the two markers, and, and Mrs. Munson will throw a ceremonial first pitch to her son, Mike Munson, who's also going to be here. That's going to be special. Very special. Very nice. we're, looking, we're looking forward to it. It's a fun way to celebrate the programs and services that we've offered for 40 years that allow seniors to age in place by staying active, engaged, and independent. And uh, we welcome seniors from throughout the southern tier, and we know that we'll be seeing uh, a lot of them tomorrow. We're looking forward to it. And probably many with with some good memories of uh, the times at Johnson Field before before the the triplets the triplets era came to an end and then the, the highway was constructed. I I have fond memories, even though I think I only managed to get to a couple of triplets games in that last season. I can't tell you for sure if I saw Thurman Munson play. Very probably did, but. Um, then afterwards, sadly, with the the end of of an era with the demolition of Johnson Field, and also uh, they tore down a whole bunch of homes nearby. All the homes that were across the street from my grandma's house uh, over on Carlton Street, they took down to make way for the highway. And the only silver lining of all this for me was after they built the highway before it was actually opened up to traffic. Uh, I and my brother and sisters, we were able to ride our bikes seemingly for miles on the unopened uh, highway, and that was probably the most fun I've had riding a bike. But but it's still, you know, the good memories of, of baseball in that, that neighborhood in Johnson City are still with me. Yeah, that's wonderful, and, and we've been hearing many stories just like that about about people that were at the gate, the games, and uh, it was just a cherished time in their life. Are people still able to make reservations for lunch tomorrow? They, they need to make those reservations by noon today because it uh, it comes in the lunch comes in from off site. We are offering a hot dog or hamburger, um, so they need to call six zero seven seven seven. Or I'm sorry, six zero seven seven nine seven three one four five by noon today. So another forty minutes to make sure that they have that reservation in place. Johnson City Senior Center celebration, the fortieth anniversary, as well as the tribute to Johnson Field, and uh, remembering Thurman Munson with his wife Diana Munson and uh, son, also on hand tomorrow. It'll be a special day for many people. Kim Robinson, Executive Director of the Johnson City Senior Center, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Eleven twenty. This is Bob Joseph.
sharing some memories of the past and looking at what's going on presently around the triple cities. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm just, I'm about to uh, share a little video on Twitter when I was over at the uh, Senior Center parking lot, had a chance to see the exact spot where Home Plate was located in Johnson Field. So I was able to share some memories, and it'll be posted shortly on Twitter. I enjoy those memories and enjoy revisiting the neighborhood. A lot of things have happened in that neighborhood recently. Of course, uh, street repaving has been completed. They just wrapped that up. So the uh, the nearby streets look beautiful. And then the work in getting the two historical markers in place and also brand new digital sign, electronic message board for the senior center. I think it looks really nice. Enjoyed stopping by this morning on my way in to the Binghamton Now Studios. 607-772-1290. I'm Bob Joseph. From the Galt Auto Studios, this is WNBF News Radio AM 1290. Also available at 92.1 FM. We sell the ultimate driving machine at Galt BMW. Eleven twenty-five. Bob Joseph live. WNBF. Let's go back to the phones. Bob from Shenango Forks. You're on the air. Yes, Bob. You know, last week I heard you talking, maybe the other week, about Mike McDougan. They had the supply place. They had the school. He used to go to a lot of auctions and buy stuff, and I knew him. I bought stuff from him. I thought he told me that he had bought the Skyline amusement park carousel and he had it in storage someplace and I was always wondering whatever happened to it or did he sell it or what he did with it now maybe some listeners know about it I don't know hmm yeah let me let me think because and I'm just punching up a story from the paper because the last time I see any reference to the carousel from Skyline Park in Tioga County was in the Present Sun Bulletin from 19 years ago. So it says the carousel was auctioned off or was going to be auctioned off at uh, the auction place in Vestal. And I'm trying to see who actually owned the carousel at the time. This was, uh, let me just see. So, former Tioga Center attraction up for bids in Vestal, but I still don't see who owned it at the, at that point. Um, looks like. Sure, he might have bought it. Yeah. I, I never heard that. I never heard that he he bought it. Now, of course, what happened to the amusement park after it closed, ultimately it was turned into uh, a drag strip, I believe, Skyview Drags. Right. Right. So according to this story in the Present Sun Bulletin from 2014, 
The carousel is believed to have been made by Herschel Spillman in Tonawanda, the same company that George F. Johnson used for our six carousels in Broome County. And they believe it was built in 1920s. Says, uh, according to this account from the newspaper nine years ago, um, the amusement park was owned by the late Bob and Grace Smith. And then uh, apparently the guy, I guess the guy from the auction place was was, was owner said, um, oh, Garrison's son-in-law, Doug Pfeiffer, said almost, or not everyone has a carousel in their garage. Almost everything is there, even the 50-year-old light bulbs. Says, well, Garrison would love to see the carousel remain in the community. It's drawn interest from across the country. Uh, I don't see where they ever reported who who ultimately bought it. And it's still a little unclear from this article who actually owned it at that time. So you just go to all the auctions and buy stuff all the time. And I had bought a bunch of stuff off them, and I bought some grizzly, you know, woodworking tools off them. Mm-hmm. So I used to see them all the time, and I'm pretty sure he says he has it. Maybe he packed it away. One of the well, tools. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Well, maybe that, that gentleman that called the other day about the well, somebody the, might know. That's true. Yeah. One of our listeners probably knows what what ultimately happened to that carousel if it stayed in Broome or Tioga counties or if it uh, ultimately was shipped off elsewhere. But I I would love to know myself. If anybody knows, they can call us or they can send an email to bob at wnbf.com. I appreciate you bringing it up. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Thanks. 1129 WNBF. Hey, if I find out, I'll let you know. If it's still around... Not too far away. I'll I'll go take a look at it if I can. If I can, it's interesting. As I say, the story did appear in the newspaper, but I don't know that there was um, any follow up on who may have acquired that carousel from the old amusement park in Tioga Center. It's eleven twenty nine. This is Bob Joseph live. WNBF 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, streaming at WNBF.com. WNBF 1133. Coming up, more of your calls on this Wednesday morning on Binghamton Now. First, though, we go directly to the Broome County Public Library at 185 Court Street in the heart of the Parlor City to discuss the controversial issue of book sales. Good morning, Joanne Hanrahan. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? Good. Got How any controversial? Are we? <laughs> well, you're you're selling books starting tomorrow. Are you going to sell any banned books, Joanne? Oh, we sell everything here. Good. Then we, we if, don't, uh, if you have if you have a banned book, I might go over there and buy it. You know, we actually put some books together that people do consider banned, and they're like the first ones that go. <laughs> oh, of course, that's anytime. That and, and some people say it's part of a marketing concept in some places where, whether it's movies or TV shows or radio shows or yes. or whatever music, you know, 
banned. Banned. There used to be a movie, and they they said this goes back more than half a century ago, and it was so. It was so bad. It was banned in every city but Binghamton, and then it got all this publicity because a jury in Binghamton said, "Yeah, well, may not be our cup of tea, but why ban it? Nobody, nobody is being hurt. Nobody is being ordered to see the movie." And after they went to a jury trial that would have led to the banning of the movie, and the jury decided, "Yeah, yeah, that's kind of, kind of, I don't know, not not particularly." Uh, mainstream movie fair, but after the they said, yeah, go ahead, show it. You know, they made more and more money, and and they they the rebooked place was it. Packed. They I re- know yes. exactly what you're talking yes. about. The theater was made so much money yeah. over that one movie. Yeah, and they, you know, and and the thing is, so and I'm not judgmental. You know, I'm just reporting the facts. So I think the trial ended shortly before Christmas. The jury came back and said. Yeah, whatever. Um, you know, and, and they even had like a free showing for the jury. So the judge is yeah. there. And even some people came in. They heard, oh, you're having a free showing for the trial because they had to, as they say, look at exhibit A. And then after they made the decision, and it's like right around Christmas time before you knew it, the thing's back in the theater and people were lining up to see it. Mainly, not because they wanted to see that movie so much, right. but because it was going to be banned. So that's that's what I say about banned books. You know, most of the time for a lot of the books, they weren't even on anyone's radar to begin with. Well, when I was a kid, <laughs> we'd get told, now, do not go down to the river. And we're looking at each other going... Where's the river? <laughs> exactly. I didn't even know there was a river. But, hey, Mom, thanks for pointing out. Oh, and, and Bobby, stay away from the railroad tracks. It's like, yes. well, I didn't even know. Now you ask your, yes. your friends, do you know where the river and the railroad tracks are? Because we're not supposed to go there. Let's go Let's go and see what's going on because it must be pretty good. Oh, my God. I ended up as, as a teenager. Oh, how, I, I, I think how stupid I was at the time. We had a rope that swung out over the river, and um, and we jumped on it and swung back on the cliff, and everybody else would, would be back there grabbing on to you to get you back down, and then the next one would go out, and, oh, my God, we would do that all day long. And Mom would say, your hands look like you've been gardening or something. Oh, yeah, it's order Suzanne's. We did. I wasn't going to tell her what I did, but after that day, I never did it again because I had dreams about it, and I thought, oh, my God, Duane, if you ever fell into that river, it wasn't that deep at the time. I'd be dead. So Yeah. So, well, that was my some, one and only trip to the river. <laughs> somehow we all survived. Anyway, tell me about uh, the book sale that's getting underway tomorrow at the library on Court Street in Binghamton. Yep. Tomorrow is our m- members-only sale, and if you're a senior or student, it's 10 bucks, and it'll carry you through 2024, and you get your choice at the books first. And that starts at 9.15. And then Friday, we're open to the public. And again, it starts at 9.15. We're here until 2. And then Saturday is our very popular $5 bag sale. And you bring your own reusable grocery bag, and you fill it for $5. And you can fill it with DVDs, puzzles, LPs, um, whatever you want. CDs. we got lots of CDs and DVDs. So, yeah, so that's what's going on, and we have been so busy. Um, I, I do want 
to thank everybody who has been bringing our donations. Um, we have so many donations. We can't get through all the boxes in order to um, get everything up. But then come November, um, mark it on your calendar. It's the middle of November. It starts on the 15th, and it's going to be our $5 bag sale Wednesday night, 4 to 7, and then 9.15 to 2, Thursday and Friday bag sale on Saturday from 9 to 12. It's our $5 bag sale bonanza. We want to thank everybody who's been supporting us. Um, you're letting the friends do a whole lot of work for the community and for our library. And I, we just wanted to thank everyone for their support. So come and see us tomorrow. I have membership forms. If you're not a member, come on in, become a member for 10 bucks or 15 bucks and you're good for all next year. And we'd love to see you. And, yes, we have a whole lot of um, banned books um, that you might want to look. So if, you, if you're looking for a banned book, just come to the desk and ask us where they are. Extra we'll value. Are, so. Extra value yeah. for banned books yeah. at the Broome County Library. Now yeah. you'll have not just the usual number of people who show up for the book sale. <laughs> now you're going to have to call security and the police for crowd control because everybody <laughs> wants to get a deal on a banned book tomorrow at the Broome County Public Library. Yeah. Thank you very much, Bob, for letting me <laughs> yes, come I on and, and get my two cents in yeah. here about our books. Thanks. Well, we do have Thank some you. fun here. Hope you have a great day. Thank you. You too. Joanne Hanrahan with Friends of the Broome County Public Library at 1139. Now more of your calls. Vinny from Binghamton. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. Hey, yeah, I just wanted to put my my um, two cents in on. Uh, you had a caller before. Well, actually, this is day. This day from Vesto was talking about in uh, these colleges indoctrinating our kids. Um, you know, I, I've said this many times. Um, the it's it's your responsibility as a parent to bring your own kids up. Don't leave it to the schools. Don't leave it to, to anybody. That's your responsibility. So I'm not blaming the schools. My point that I'm trying to make is, as parents, we have to bring up our kids because there's going to be a lot of things that happen. From the first day they go and they ride the bus and you got the teenagers in the back cussing and swearing and saying all kinds of stuff to when they graduate from uh, school. You know, my concern isn't the, the campuses. I'm... I'm I feel sad that these young kids, you know, college is supposed to be a great time in your life. Mostly, you know, it's only four years. And to see them of what grown-ups in this world that haven't grown up and that keep this nonsense going. And I've got a perfect example. Ron DeSantis, front page of our paper yesterday. Don't bring refugees from Gaza to the United States. This is what this guy running for the highest office in our country. This is what he said. The United States should not be absorbing any of those. I think the culture. So they elected Hamas. Let's, let's, let's be clear about that. Now, everyone's a member of Hamas, but most probably aren't. But they did elect Hamas, he said, of people of Gaza. He described what is a toxic culture in Gaza. I think if we were to import large numbers of those to the United States, I think it would increase anti-Semitism in this country. And I think it would be it would increase anti-Americanism in this country. Now, let's not forget that Ron DeSantis was a history teacher. This guy was a history teacher. 
And this crap wants to come out of his mouth. Oh, they did elect him. They're not all that way. And Israelis aren't either. They, as a matter of fact, I, again, I got to hit the polls. It's, it's leadership is what's causing this. When you take, Bob, can I, let me give you a visual. Let's take a Wego, Appalachian, and Nichols. And we're going to dump 2 million people in that square mileage, about 140, 141 square miles. That's what Gaza is. It is the most highly, most unemployed area in the world. It's called the largest open air prison in the world. Like I told you, this is a 9-11. No, this is Attica of what happened. Is it wrong? You're dang right it's wrong. Anytime anybody kills either side. And now you got a hospital blown up. Oh, it, 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 no, no, we didn't do that. We didn't do that. That, that was Hamas with a stray, stray rocket. Well, here's my question, and I wish I could. Hey, Kathy, Hochul, Governor Hochul, when you get over there, if you do, ask um, um, Netanyahu this question. You're forcing these 2 million people into smaller square mileage. Um, when you get done with your whatever you're doing here, are you going to give this land back to the Palestinians? Or is this a slick land grab? They're going to crush these people even more. Is that diplomacy? Is that the way you do it? Now, you know, Bob, I called yesterday about Jimmy Carter. He said, we could have done the same thing. No, too many innocent lives. And that's what's going on right now. But you wouldn't know it by our, by our media. And I see what they're doing. I see exactly what they're doing. They don't want to talk about both sides. Joe Biden's over there right now, just like Barack Obama, just like Donald Trump, just like George Bush, just like uh, Jimmy Carter. Carter's been working out for 30 years. It's one thing to help out a country, but when they don't want to listen to what you're saying, we got problems, and we're always going to have problems. Please don't build more on the West Bank. Okay, yeah, we are. So, so what are you going to do? How are you going to get any type of, of talks go? How many? And let's not, let's not be stupid. We've got some extremists. We know Hamas. Yeah, Palestinians. Yeah, they're extremists. We got some extremists on Israel too, Israelis too, but they don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You got some extremists on there. Well, it's a real so, mess, and I, I don't know. the The, the sad thing is, it's it's been terrible for the last yep. week and a half, and there are no signs that anything is likely to improve anytime soon. And and well, let me. Let me hey, Bob, can I just say this last thing? Um. This is going to be a situation that um, I think with our media today in 2023, I think this thing can actually get really bad. And I'll tell you why. I remember a long time ago reading about uh, the shootings in some of the inner cities with the gangs. And I remember um, Louis Farrakhan, not a very popular person, but he went in to talk to these gangs and he told, said this to him. He said, listen, <laughs> you guys are making it very hard for me to go out here and talk about, you know, this and that when you guys are down here shooting each other. This is the way it's going to be in Israel. Listen, you guys are making it very hard for me to keep coming out here talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've got you, we've got you, and you keep on going, you keep on expanding, you don't even, your efforts towards talks is lousy. You've got 2 million people in 140 square miles, and now you're, you're taking more land? Are you going to get that land back? You probably aren't. So that's going to make it worse. And after a while, these other countries are going to start looking. Hmm. 
We, 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 got, we got a, a leader that the people don't even want. And the Israelis don't want Netanyahu there. But he, oh, he's, he's, he's doing, he's doing the George Bush bomb is what he's doing. Appreciate your opinions. We, uh, will be taking, uh, more calls. By the way, the program is going to be on tomorrow too. In case you can't get in today. I know suddenly now a lot of people want to talk on the program. And so if you don't make it in today, remember, I'll be here between nine and noon tomorrow. Beverly from the town of Dickinson. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Bob. I have a question for someone out there. I I found um, a picture or in a frame that says the Hi-Fi Fellowship of of Young Men's Christian Association of the United States, and it says this is to certify that East Junior High uh, Hi-Fi Club have have. Uh, having ex- accepted the national purpose to create to create maintenance and and extended through the school and community of high standards of Christian characters and having fulfilled other requirements, it is recognized as a participant in in the Hi-Fi Fellowship of the United States. And it's dated 1942. And I wonder if there's anyone out there that could explain that more to me. But it was, uh, you know, uh, whether somebody had the award or whether if it was just, or if, or someone just found it because I was upstairs looking in the closet and I seen this and I thought, well, geez, I'm going to call a radio station to see if anybody may have may have heard about it. But it doesn't say anything about who was uh, who it was to uh, awarded to. All right. Well, I just I'm if sure anyone w- out there knows anything about it. I'm sure one of our listeners does. We're close to the end of today's broadcast, but tune in tomorrow because they may uh, hold off until tomorrow to call in to give you the answer. I mean, that, it doesn't have no, uh, no name on it on uh, who it was awarded to. It's just as those words that I had written off. Huh. So I don't know whether if, if someone in my family... Um, picked it up or or oh. what or or oh. it was given to somebody right, so i well, just want to know if anyone knows anything about this organization all right well we'll find out if not today we'll probably find out tomorrow okay thank you it's eleven forty nine. this is bob joseph we give you the opportunity to get answers news radio wnbf Eleven fifty one, Bob Joseph live in living color on WNBF. Joan in Binghamton, you're on the air. Oh, living color, huh? On NBC. I mean NBF. Sometimes you make me mad enough I probably guess it isn't living color. Oh, <laughs> well, mission accomplished. What's on your mind? <laughs> well, uh talking about uh 
the Palestinians, from what I've been told, you know, they had an election between Hamas and the PLO, and they picked Hamas to be their leaders. Therefore, just like us picking Biden or whoever we picked Trump or whatever for president, you know, we're responsible for what they do. If you want to look well, sadly, no, we're not responsible. Say if say if I vote if I voted for someone who acted totally irresponsible and was belligerent for four years. I mean, if I didn't vote for him, yeah, I have to be subjected to that, but I'm not responsible. It's not my fault. In fact, if you look seriously, if you look at at U.S. elections, say the 2016 election, for example, where a certain person won, but if you look closely at the numbers, it turns out that well under 30% of those over the age of 18 actually voted for that guy. So I'm not saying in the election fewer than 30% voted for that guy. I'm saying of the adults in the country. So that meant uh, more than 70% of adult Americans did not support that guy, and yet he represented this country for four big years. So why bother to vote? Just have a king or just have a dictator. I am sure that's what he would like, but it's not going to happen. This, well, you know, that's, uh, that's the reason we have people voting. I know, pick, and and that's why our leaders. But that's why you and I always vote because we understand the importance of our vote every four years. Actually, even our vote in local elections too. I vote in every election, but especially presidential elections. The impact on our communities in this country and the world, it's. It's very, very important, so I will always well, you, vote. You just, you just made my argument. You just made my argument right there. No. No. Yeah. I mean, you might think I made your argument. My point is, again, 2016, look at the numbers. The people who didn't vote or di- either didn't vote or didn't vote for the winner – that constituted, I, I think, the numbers that I saw was 74% of American adults. So that's nearly three quarters of the adults in America in November 2016 didn't vote for the guy who ultimately won. So it's, you could say. But it's their responsibility well, they didn't vote. Yeah, and they were stuck. That should have been a bitter lesson. And still, even, even in 2020, even though that guy was fired, by, and in fact, you might even argue that the reason he wound up being fired in 2020 and was not kept on for another four years was because the American people did learn a bitter lesson in 2016. You sit it out and you, you do so at your own risk. So maybe or they were prevented from hearing things that uh, for the election pe- uh, that the uh, certain people felt that they shouldn't hear. About uh, Biden, about what was other things that were going on in the world, et cetera. And so, therefore, that lack of information, that's uh, what swung the uh, election. Well, you certainly could say that. Yeah, you certainly could. Well, anyway, you just did on the uh, station you know, here. For Palestine or Gaza being surrounded, that's a historic concept of how to. Uh, bring a city to its knees. I mean, that's how it's always been done. If you have a city, you surround it and you just wait. 
And either the people say, okay, we're going to rise up and get rid of these guys who are forcing us into this terrible position, or else I guess they just starve to death. I mean, that's that's been history. I mean, that's how do you take down a city? You just surround it and wait. You know, you don't go in. I actually, I think probably yeah, it's it's called it's better if, it's, uh, if it's the, torture. It, well, it, it amounts to torture. Starving people to death, you would have to say that's torture. Well, Starving just, innocent people who had nothing to do. Sure, with they the, had something to do. They can no, they can stop no. Some the at least some less than the population. At least some of the people who are in danger of starving to death or dying in hospitals without power are innocent. Well, we dropped two atomic bombs. We asked Japan to surrender, and they said no. Okay, then the first atomic bomb was dropped. We said surrender, and they said no. And then the second atomic bomb was dropped. Well, were innocents killed? Yes, innocents were killed. Innocents are being killed right now. More innocents will be killed in the hours, days, and weeks to come. That's what it appears. More innocent people must die until this war is brought to an end. That's our program for today. I'm Bob Joseph. I'll be back tomorrow here on WNBF. This is News Radio 1290 AM, WNBF Binghamton. Now on 92.1 FM, W221 EJ Binghamton, a town square media.